You are listening to Tough Island, Maine on WERU Community Radio, 89.9 on your FM dial, serving mid-coast, down-east, and central Maine, and on the internet at WERU.org. Warning, these true stories may not be appropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Chapter 7 My name is Crashberry, and for two years, when I was a much younger man, I lived on Matinicus, Maine's most remote inhabited island. A couple of years living in a fish shack didn't make me an expert on Matinicus, but it was a long enough immersion to recognize the distinctive nature of the island, to see beyond the myth and the hype, to study a unique society with a wannabe writer's brain, filtered through a thick lens of drugs, <laughs> youth, and hard work. My time on Matinicus taught me an important lesson. Be careful on Tough Island. To listen to previous episodes of Tough Island, visit Crashberry.com, where you can also view my illustrations of Captain Donald, his wife Mary Margaret, and other folks and locations from these stories. You can also listen via the WERU archives at WERU.org. Francis McNeil, also known as Frankie, and also known as Red, was one of my best friends for my time serving as a sailor. a Coast Guard cutter stationed on the Maine New Hampshire border. Uh, hello? Hey, Crash, how you doing? Uh, <clears throat> hey, Frankie, uh, did you know what time it is? Yeah, it's about 3.30 in the morning, got time to talk. And while I was working for Captain Donald on the island, Frankie was working as a deckhand aboard a commercial Boston tugboat that sailed the waters from Baltimore to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, well, I was sleeping. Well, you're up now. <laughs> yeah. Man, I can't wait for you to meet her. She is awesome, beautiful. Oh, she's so nice, man. Oh, she's the love of my life. I know it. I can feel it, you know. Frankie was redheaded, impish, and Irish good-looking. He had a huge heart and a great smile and laugh. <laughs> yeah. Everything was a joke with him. Once I moved to the island, every couple of weeks or so in the middle of the night, Frankie would call me drunk. We've been having a great time, yeah. <laughs> On this night, in late January 1992, he was in Boston. Come on down, man. I really want you to meet her. She's awesome. She, she's got great eyes and such a nice smile. <laughs> yeah, she weighs about 250 pounds, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know how I like them. 
Frankie loved the big girls, which was funny because he was a tiny little guy. He hated the Coast Guard, though. We spent lots of time in the Caribbean and had many good times in exotic foreign ports of call, but our big adventure together was a three-week-long romp around Ireland. On leave from the war on drugs, exploring our homeland, drinking in the Guinness and the fair-haired lasses. But Frankie hated the Coast Guard. Big time. That's why two years into his four-year tour, he decided to quit. Problem was, they just don't let Coasties quit. That's not how the military operates. Frankie had to work to get out. <laughs> About a year before I headed to the island, our Coast Guard cutter was heading out on a two-month Caribbean patrol. That morning, when the ship got underway from Newcastle, New Hampshire, Frankie simply didn't show up. Seaman McNeil, report to the bridge. Seaman McNeil, report to the bridge on the double. He skipped the trip when AWOL, also called unauthorized absence. After about a week, he eventually turned himself in, and then after a long journey, he finally arrived aboard the cutter in handcuffs via a helicopter while we were off the coast of Cuba searching for drug smugglers. The night he got back, we hung out on the mess deck while he wrote a statement explaining his unauthorized absence. Hey, Crash, how do you spell unidentified? Uh, like, uh, unidentified flying object? You know, UFOs? Uh, U-N-I-D-E-N-T-I-F-I-E-D. Okay, how do you spell alien? Frankie knew a dishonorable discharge from the Coast Guard wouldn't hurt his dream of working on tugboats. <laughs> yeah. So he kept being difficult. It took a couple of months, but he finally got his walking papers and became a civilian. So me, with my honorable discharge, was living in a cold shack and Frankie was staying year-round on his uncle's cabin cruiser in a Boston marina enjoying the high life and making tons of cash. Yeah, man, come on down! Uh, yeah, man, uh, I don't know. He made me the same offer he always did during the drunken phone calls. You can live on the boat with me until you get settled and pass your drug test. <laughs> uh, there's no way I'm going to pass a drug test. We'll get you a job on the tug. Meet a nice girl, man, it'll be paradise. Problem was, there was no chance I'd pass the mandatory drug screening. Yeah, I've been smoking a bunch of weed, took mushrooms, acid several times, some pills. I, I bought an eight ball of Coke. I, I don't know how long it would take for me to clean up. Uh, it couldn't be more than 30 days, though. I wouldn't count on it. There's probably enough THC in my system to give the lab technician a contact high. <laughs> and staying sober for a month to clean out my system while still lobstering or hanging out with Frankie was out of the question. Come on, dude, you can do it. <laughs> It'll be just like old times. <laughs> yeah. They returned to the life of a drunken sailor while slightly alluring 
felt like a major step backwards. The reality, I needed to go to college. Sitting at my table and getting high while pecking away at the typewriter and sending long narrative poems to the New Yorker wasn't helping me grow as a writer. Plus, my written material had a major weakness. My writing sucked. 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 Writing. Thanks to my Catholic education, I was well-versed in the theories of heaven, hell, purgatory, and limbo. I was intimately aware of the history and habits of the saints. But somehow the nuns failed to notice that my grammar and sentence structure were atrocious, which limited my ability to do more than just string short series of word pictures together and call them poems. I had some important Coast Guard tales to share, and I needed the writing tools to turn them into stories. But it was too late for the winter semester of college, and the following fall semester seemed so far away. Furthermore, it didn't make financial sense to leave the island. I was making good cash. The boat price of lobster skyrocketed in the winter, and while we practically had to drop a trap full of rotten herring on the sleepy lobsters to convince them to crawl out of their burrows, luckily Donald was a real pro, so we were still making money. I know the secret money bottoms, places 40 or 50 fathoms deep, where the lobsters love to live in the winter. <laughs> We'd go out to haul on days when everyone else stayed on the mooring, because Donald didn't fear rolling seas, or three-foot chop, or heavy wind. He was just happy to have the opportunity to get away from Mary Margaret. She drives me crazy. Very annoying. Working conditions were tough, but tolerable thanks to my long underwear and good boots and layers of flannel shirts underneath my oil clothes. I was usually comfortable, except for my hands. I couldn't find insulated gloves flexible enough for the intricate task of measuring and banding lobsters or filling bait bags or tying traps shut. Cold don't bother me, Captain Donald said. I just don't like gloves. Too confining. Yeah. He often worked barehanded. That's right, barehanded, even on sub-freezing days. And while the engine was burning lots of diesel, and he wasn't getting the best return on his bait. Captain Donald didn't care about the dollars and cents. Again, he was just glad to be out of the house and away from Mary Margaret. Donald! 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 One night in late January, I was up at Captain Donald's and Mary Margaret's for dinner and a shower. Here's your check, Mary Margaret said handing me an envelope. These days, with the cost of being fuel, you're making more than Donald. She was lying, of course, since my cut of the catch, 15%, came after the bait and fuel were paid for. Though you should be paying us for the privilege of making so much money. <laughs> I was sick of Mary Margaret. For nine months, I've been putting up with her bull****, gossip, and backbiting. What made her such a bitch? Was it genetics, or was it the kerosene-laced water? Or was it because she was married to an insufferable Doesn't matter. 
I hated the sound of her voice. And another thing was... Her nattering stories were annoying, and her blather was trivial and bored me. And then there was a time that we couldn't do the thing that we wanted to do. To her credit, though, she did make me two sandwiches for every day we went out to haul, but the sandwiches were awful, despite her rotating a steady cast of bland meats. Turkey bologna, turkey bologna, turkey, turkey ham, turkey, turkey salami, salami, and tuna, and fish. tuna fish. Every day I'd get a couple sandwiches and a couple apples and some animal crackers, which were allowable under Captain Donald's diet for his diabetes. Oh, good. Some cookies. Twice a week, I'd go up to their house for supper. First, I'd take a four-minute oily shower their water still reeking from the kerosene spill years before that tainted their well. And then I'd sit at the kitchen table with Donald and wait for Mary Margaret to feed us. I'm so hungry I could eat a shoe, which, come to think of it, describes most of Mary Margaret's cooking. <laughs> on this particular night, pizza was on the menu, coated with a thin layer of boring red sauce, sawdust mozzarella, and fresh chopped onions. Oh, how I longed for spice and salt, pepperoni or burger or sausage or garlic. Because of his diabetes. Captain Donald's diet didn't allow it, so we all went without. You'll never guess what Brenda told me that Pierre did. Huh. Mary Margaret said, taking a seat at the table. Come on, guess. I don't want to guess, and I don't give a frig, Captain Donald said, taking a sip from his glass of sugar-free Kool-Aid, then grimacing. Awful stuff. When's the pizza going to be ready? Mary Margaret turned to look at the oven timer. Six minutes, she said. Brenda's brother is going to fire him. Neither of us said a word. She wanted someone to ask why Pierre was getting fired, but Captain Donald and I weren't taking the bait. We both preferred uncomfortable silence to her babble. Twice now they've been setting some new gear, and he's set the traps without tying them off. Mary Margaret shook her head. Can you imagine? Grown man pushing brand new traps overboard, forgetting to tie them off. <laughs> Captain Donald tried to stifle a grin. He hated Pierre and often called him a fool. But he didn't want to encourage any more of Mary Margaret's banal chatter. Donald took another sip of the red Kool-Aid and scowled. Then he coughed and spit into his handkerchief. <coughs> Pierre has got to be one of the most incompetent men I've ever met. I mean, why doesn't he have his own boat? Mary Margaret nodded her head knowingly, then pointed at me. I'll tell you why. D-R-U-G-S. Drugs. As far as I'd known, Pierre grew weed and brewed beer and was a good connection to the hashish from Vinylhaven, but I didn't know he had a drug problem. What kind of drugs? Oh, I don't know. Smack dope or something like that. Mary Margaret shook her head in disgust. And those awful children. Uh, what's the matter with them? I knew Pierre's kids. Sweet and funny second and fourth graders. I, I like those kids. She'll be a slut and he'll be a thief. Just like their parents. The timer buzzed. 
Mary Margaret jumped up from the table and opened the oven. Oh, my! She gasped, then covered her mouth with her hand. Captain Donald immediately saw the problem. There was no hiding it. The oven was empty. His eyes darted to the counter where the uncooked pizza sat. Then he looked back at his wife. You goddamn stupid bitch! Captain Donald exploded. Um... And his face instantly became the color of his Kool-Aid. You forgot to put the goddamn pizza in the goddamn oven. Mary Margaret was an extremely unlikable person. Uh, in fact, it's safe to say that I truly hated her. You are a f moron. Being in her presence was an extremely unpleasant experience because of her personality and her poisonous bile. A goddamn imbecile. But no one deserved the type of tongue lashing that Captain Donald gave her. Mary Margaret, if you had a second brain, that brain would be very lonely. Not in public. You're number than a corn take and about as smart as a bushel of bait. Not behind closed doors. And you're dumber than a box of hair. You goddamn idiotic stupid goddamn... When he ran out of words, Donald sputtered to a stop, pushed his chair back from the table got up and stormed into the other room. He grabbed the remote and turned the TV on loud. On Newsletter Tonight, an exclusive interview with the woman who turned in her husband for the murder of an Auburn... Real loud. Plus, the possibility of a new life for Loring Air Force Base. Mary Margaret course, stood there, the traces of a sheepish grin frozen on her face. She turned around, cleared her throat, and put the pizza in the oven. She set the timer for 20 minutes, then sat back down. Her gray lips were pursed in a fresh smile. You'll never guess what else I heard about Brenda. I took a long sip of water and listened. First of all, she drinks too much. This behavior made me wonder what other abuses she suffered over the years. And according to the accountant... There's some money missing from the trust. Three weeks later, I'd literally hold Captain Donald's life in my hands. But then, when she went and did that whole thing with... Maybe I should have killed the miserable son of a bitch. <laughs> Luckily, I had another place to take a shower. At least once a week, Captain Rick Coles and his lovely wife, Sue, invited me to their house for a flavorful meal and intelligent conversation. After I showered, Rick and I would enjoy a couple of bong hits, and then head to the kitchen to sip whiskey while Sue cooked us a feast. And often, they'd listen to my complaints. Yeah, I really hate them, uh, both of them. You know, Mary Margaret drives me crazy, Sue said as she peeled carrots. But Donald is just being Donald. Sue loved my boss, and others also seemed to think highly of him. Apparently, many people found Captain Donald charming. I keep telling you, Captain Rick said. He treats you like garbage because you're a stern man. <laughs> you're his slave. You're his bitch. You're not his friend. And that's the way it's supposed to be. 
Yeah, well, he could be a little nicer about it. Deal with it. You're making money, aren't you? Probably more than me. Welcome to the real world. Rick was a smart and funny guy. An avid reader, his diction and vocabulary were probably the best on the island. After a delicious supper, we'd adjourn to the living room to watch the news and the weather. Six Alive, your 24-hour news center. Count on us. And then play along with Jeopardy. And our returning champion, a physician from Bedford, New Hampshire, Gary Washadell. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Thank you, Johnny Gilbert. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome again to our program. Rick and Sue's sweet son, Evan, a smart and funny, jug-eared second grader, kept us entertained during commercials retelling events from his days in the one-room schoolhouse. And then the teacher says to me, no, that's not the right answer. Or his adventures with Brandy the dog. And when Brandy came back, she smelled real bad. Compared to the rest of my life, the Coles house was seemingly normal and provided respite from the island's craziness. They were extremely kind and never asked for anything in return. Thanks so much for dinner, Sue. That was great. And I always walked home in a fine mood after an evening at their house. Have a nice stroll home. Watch out for the cougars. And I always felt super clean because Captain Rick's water was some of the best on the island, especially compared to the kerosene-tainted liquid from Donald and Mary Margaret's well. Accidental death at sea is a sensitive topic among fisher people. The saddest discovery for a lobstering community is an empty boat driving a slow and lazy circle. That usually means a captain going solo got caught up in rope and dragged overboard. The gruesome task of hauling the last pair of traps set by the missing person is usually done by the father or a son or the best pal. They gaff the buoy and haul the rope. Knowing they'll discover the corpse of their loved one. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Jesus. Entangled. Jesus. And dead. Jesus. That's why a fella has to be mindful when setting gear. When a boat's deck is awash in rope, he might step into the bite of a fast-moving line. It becomes a noose working under the strain of two opposing forces the boat's forward momentum versus the heavily weighted trap sliding backwards and plummeting down, down, down into the briny deep, into the briny deep, into the briny deep, into the briny deep, into the briny deep. 
out of the corner of my eye, I saw Captain Donald being dragged fore to aft, headed overboard to be drowned by the churning greenish gray-blue February sea. What in the hell? I'd been focused on filling bait bags with greasy herring, so I hadn't seen his right leg get tangled in the pot warp, the long piece of rope that connects a lobster trap to a lobster buoy. The competing forces tripped and pulled Captain Donald's feet out from under him. God damn it! An instant later, he was on the deck, flailing as the herky-jerky dragging began. When I looked to the stern, Captain Donald was being stretched into the ocean and was holding on for dear life. His arms, thick as legs, saved him. He'd wrapped them around the steel bar that spanned the width of his boat's transom. Only his sheer strength and determination kept him from letting go of the boat. I dashed forward and throttled back and threw the engine into neutral. If Captain Donald let go, there would have been a few quick and frantic splashes. Then the plunge as the trap's weight pulled him down. Down, 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 below the surface, far from the surface, far from the oxygen, the air that would keep him alive. Would he have caught a final glimpse of his boat on the way down? Would Donald have stayed conscious long enough to feel his boots grow heavy with ocean? Uh, uh-oh. And realize his loyal orange oil skins that kept him dry for years I'm screwed. had become a hindrance when getting dragged to the bottom. Would he have time to note the irony? Well, that's ironic. Being murdered by his beloved boat well, and the traps that he built by hand? See you later, Mary Margaret. Thanks for all the laughs. <laughs> Donald didn't have to worry, though, because he wasn't a solo captain. He had a stern man. He had me. Hold on, boss, I'm coming! I yelled after putting the boat into neutral. Seconds later, I was at the stern. My sharp knife raised, blade poised to slash the line trying to kill him. Donald's eyes opened wider. In terror. Don't you dare cut those friggin' traps. That's a hundred dollars a pair. Next time on Tough Island, someone very close to me dies. And unfortunately, it's not Captain Donald. Tough Island is written, produced, and voiced by Crash Barry. That's me. Tough Island, Maine is based on the book Tough Island. Visit CrashBerry.com for other episodes of Tough Island, Maine. You can also listen via the WERU archives at WERU.org. Visit CrashBerry.com for more information about my books or my investigative podcast about the child-molesting Catholic priests of Springfield, Massachusetts, called 
devils, and dirtbags. Also at Crashberry.com are illustrations from this week's episode. And remember, be careful on Tough Island. Tough Island.